Aiden here. This is a special episode today because I am interviewing one of the students who took my course, Obsidian University. For those of you who don't know, Obsidian University is a pre-made student vault filled with school templates, Obsidian plugins, and a tag-along course that explains how to use various aspects of the vault and trains you in the core concepts of personal knowledge management. So in this episode, I talked with Umar, one of the students of this course, about his experience taking Obsidian University to level up his note-taking and studying, the biggest mistakes Umar wish he had avoided beginning to use Obsidian, and how he's fallen in love with learning inside and outside school. I really hope that you guys take away some of the same principles that Umar took from taking the course. And if you're interested after the episode, I'm gonna be completely frank with you. It is a little bit promotional of Obsidian University, but I'm trying to be honest up front because I don't wanna mislead you in any way. However, if you do wanna take the course yourself afterward, you can find it in the description below um, with the Obsidian University link. And in the course, you're going to learn how to get good grades and less time so you can focus on actually enjoying college life and making memories. You're gonna learn the best mindsets, methods, and tools for leveling up your note-taking and studying. You're gonna to learn to navigate the overwhelming amount of information in the digital age, build a note-taking system that compounds your knowledge across semesters, fall back in love with student learning, and you're gonna to get to do it alongside other passionate learners like Umar in our exclusive Obsidian University Discord. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, PCammers. Welcome back to Personal Knowledge Management with Aiden Halfon, the podcast where I interview fellow PKMers and dive into the unique ways they use their PKM systems for work, creativity, and life. This week, we have a special guest, Umar, someone that I've been talking to outside of the course for fun and uh, as a friend. And he's been super, super great to talk to. So I'm really excited to get to have him on the podcast today. Umar, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. The first question that I have for you is, I'm curious, a lot of the listeners might be wondering, why did you want to learn to take better notes for school and outside learnings in the first place? Right. Well, for school, I'd say that was more on accident and sort mm -hmm. of just grew out of me looking into Obsidian and personal knowledge management. As for just wanting to take better notes, right, I'm going to I'm gonna have to give a quick five-minute history lesson because as most Either things way. do with me, <laughs> they relate in some capacity to my interest, which is Islamic history. Yeah. So in Islamic history, you have different figures that are known as polymaths. And basically, they're experts in many different fields. So some examples of this would be Al-Khwarizmi. He was a mathematician. He invented algebra. The name algebra comes from a mispronunciation of his name, Al-Khwarizmi, by Europeans. <laughs> um, 
you have Ibn Sina, who's known in the West as Avicenna. He came up with a, like a proto-germ theory. He was also a philosopher, theologian. Um, you have all, the, all sorts of figures like this in Islamic history. And I have always been fascinated with the idea of being that sort of Renaissance man, the polymath, you know, you know so much about so many different topics. And when I first heard about obsidian and about having a second brain, personal knowledge management, all of this, that's the perfect way to get there. Because what does it do? It links all your different notes from all your different ways of thinking and all of your different disciplines that you're studying together. Mm. That's exactly what I need to do if I want to go down the same sort of road that these people have gone down. Mm. Um, now, it was a bit of a rocky road to get to where I am right now, which uh, we'll probably talk about later. But um, yeah, I'd say that, does that answer your question? Yeah. On that note, what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced along the road of note-taking in Obsidian? Well, there are there are three main challenges. Me, myself, and I. As in, <laughs> as in most things in life, I'd assume anyway, the biggest challenge is your own faults. In my case, that's just complete and utter laziness and not wanting to work. Um, so I actually first learned about Obsidian two years ago, um, mm. but I've only really started using it properly for the past two months. And there's, there's been a long period of me just trying to get into it at different intervals. And for one of two reasons, not it not sticking as a habit. Um, first reason would be my approach to what I wanted to do with this, with Obsidian, with my second brain. And that was trying to build some sort of second personalized Wikipedia. Which, while that does sound cool, there is a problem with that. And that is there is already something like that that exists. It's called Wikipedia. <laughs> and there's a reason that there's a reason why that's maintained by a community and not by one person. Because it is practically impossible for one person to get right down 1% of the, the things, the stuff that's in Wikipedia. Mm. Uh, so that, that would never have worked. It was all. It, that would have always been sort of a an endless road for me to go down to never and never really get anywhere. Mm. And the second issue, and this issue was the big one, and that was I spent a lot of time looking for other people's personal knowledge management systems, other people's systems of taking notes in Obsidian, and then trying to make that exact system work for me. Mm. And the problem that I had with that, and when I say it out loud, it sounds obvious, but at the time, I didn't think of it at all. And that is a second brain is like your first brain in the sense that is entirely supposed to be entirely unique to you. Mm. My my brain is not the same as my father's brain. It's not the same as my siblings, not the same as my friends, not the same as yours. It's different. I have different things in here, probably <laughs> less, but different things in here. <laughs> And my second brain, therefore, should be somewhat similar, and that is personalized to me. It's personalized to my workflow, to the things that I'm interested in, to the ways I collect my information, and how I like to manage them. Mm -hmm. So when I try to use other people's systems, whether it be yours or uh, Ali Abdal's or Tiago Forte's, Nick Milo's, whoever's, 
and I don't bother trying to make any serious changes to that system, it's never going to work. It's never going to stick. Yeah. So it sounds like the two biggest things that were challenging along the journey was firstly, getting started. <laughs> like like you said, you yeah. knew about Obsidian for two years before diving in. And then secondly, coming to the realization that it's called personal knowledge management because it's personal to you. And that means blindly copying someone's system and using it as your own is doomed to, to fail in the long run. Yes, exactly. Yes. I'm curious, how do you think you changed your system to work for you. Right. Well, the base for the system that I use, I got from your course, I got from Obsidian University. And how have I changed it? Let's see. I don't use much of the stuff that was in the the daily notes template. I do use that, but I only really use it as like a task manager. Mm. I go in there, I put in what do I need to get done today, and then I just tick things off. Yeah. Um, I changed around some of the stuff with regarding the inputs. So I made all the lecture notes. I made those into all a form of input notes. So they'd show up on that. Um, they show up in the data view plugin alongside my other inputs. Yeah. Um, and then very, very specific to, uh, what I'm doing in school with my English class, we do, we cover a lot of poets, we cover a lot of poetry. So I created a new note that's basically just, it's a poet has a data view plugin and that has a list of all of my annotations of their poems that I'm studying. So when mm. I go back to then study the, the poetry, it's all there. I just, a couple of clicks, I have everything. Instead mm. of looking for half an hour amongst a mess of papers on my desk for that one last bit of poetry that I that I need <laughs> to study that's going to come up in my essay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I am so happy to hear that you've personalized it to work for the way that your brain thinks. I remember when I took the linking your thinking workshop, I came in thinking I was a bottom up note taker, which means I take notes at the individual level and then only do top down thinking sometimes. But I realized throughout taking the course that I was actually more of a top down note taker because I do top-down thinking when I create content, when I create maps of content, which are just notes related notes related to other notes. And I didn't know that until taking the course because I had told myself, well, I'm using Obsidian. Of course, I should do all bottom-up note-taking all the time. So coming to that realization helped me take notes in a way that resonated with me rather than forcing myself into a system that didn't work. So I'm so glad to hear you've personalized it for you as well. A fun question. Let's imagine Umar two years ago at the beginning of his Obsidian note-taking journey. Oh no. Compared to you now, what was going through your head back then? What was your mindset towards school? And how has it changed over the last two years? Right, well, Specifically, two years ago, me, I was in fourth year secondary school in Ireland. And anyone listening who happens to have any knowledge of the school system in Ireland will know that that particular year, you don't do anything. 
Like, I mean, <laughs> you actually don't do anything. There's no state-given curriculum because the main the main sections is the first three years. That's the junior cycle, and the last two years where I am right now, and that's the senior cycle. Hmm. Um, and that middle year, fourth year, it's transition year. You don't do anything. So in my school, we just kind of went around. Like we went to Southern Ireland. Uh, we had a bunch of more like fun classes. We did a bunch of random stuff, really. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, how how has my mindset towards school changed? I'd say I have a different approach now when it comes to my classes. And when I go into my classes, I'm not just going in there thinking, okay, I need all of this to get my grade on my leaving cert so I can go into whatever college. No, I'm thinking, okay, how can this information, how does this then connect to other bits of information mm-hmm. that I've learned on my own? And I'd say a good example of this, uh, my history class, we're studying Irish history, and my teachers made one sort of throwaway comment. Oh yeah, Dublin, back in the day, is like, and even now, is disproportionately massive compared to the rest of the the area it's in, compared to the rest of Ireland. And the reason for this was the British used it as a port city to funnel resources from the rest of Ireland out and back into Britain. Mm. That's then connects to notes that I made on a book I'm reading about uh, Indian and Pakistani independence and how Gandhi, he insisted that everyone makes their own clothes in India. And the reason for that was because the British had outlawed the making of clothes in India because they wanted all the cotton that was grown there to be shipped back to Britain where it would be then manufactured in Britain and then that would be shipped back to India, and then they'd have to mm. buy those clothes. So as a form of protest, Gandhi said, no, we're going to make our own. We're not going to pay you. Yeah. They used cities like Dublin to ship the cloth through. So this, well, I wouldn't say minor, but this part of Indian independence then connects to this part of Irish history. When yeah. ordinarily, you wouldn't really think outside of colonialism, that Indian history and Irish history would really connect at all. I mean, they're kind of on opposite sides of the world. (laughs) That is fascinating. If you weren't thinking in that connected mindset, that would would never have occurred. No, no. And what I thought was really interesting was now that since I have been using Obsidian every day, multiple times a day, because I'm using it as my school note-taking system as well, so I kind of have to use it every day, now I'm picking up on these connections a lot more. Mm. And yeah. I'm able to make these connections. So I might be in class and I pick up on this connection. Maybe I don't have my laptop out with me. I have um, this here pocket notebook, or Leuchtturm 1917. <laughs> yeah. I just have a section in there. I just write down, uh, like I call it a catch-all section. I just write down different thoughts that occur. Oh, this is interesting. I might want to make a note on that later oh, this is interesting, that connects to this other thing that I'm researching. Mm. And then at the end of the day, I'll go back into that, I'll look through, and I'll make concept notes for that. Mm. Yeah, you've alluded to it a bit in what you just talked about, but why don't you say a little bit more about your interests in school and outside of school and how you're using Obsidian to explore those? My interest in and outside of school. Right. Well, anyone who knows me knows that I am a massive tech nerd. Um, <laughs> I've been daily driving Linux operating system 
for <laughs> well actually forever and that's thanks to my father he brainwashed me from an early age Oh no! <laughs> Actually, p- virtually all of my interests come from my father brainwashing me at an early age. I'm basically a carbon copy of him, in many ways. Uh, <laughs> right. So I'm I'm interested in, in technology programming. Um, one of my core interests, as people who may know anything about Islam might have recognized from my name, Omar. I'm a Muslim, and I have always been utterly fascinated with studying Islamic history. Um, and I've read, I've read so many books, podcasts, lectures, articles, what have you. Um, that's one of my main interests. I also do research into philosophy and theology. Um, some geopolitics, which I'm not going to get into because I don't want anyone to show up outside my door with waving <laughs> uh, pitchforks and trying to crucify me or something. <laughs> So geopolitics, Islamic history, philosophy, technology, a whole bunch of different fields. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious, do you find that learning each of those things, you attack them differently or has it been the similar? I'd say different sort of subject groups I would attack differently. So I'd say my main two areas of interest generally fall into either STEM or humanities. Mm. So if I'm studying something to do with humanities, like I take Mandarin and Arabic at school, so I'm studying those, those two, they're languages. Sure, they're very different languages. They're still languages, but I study them pretty similarly. I have flashcards from my vocabulary. Um, I have other slightly different flashcards for grammar points and pronunciation. Um, if I'm studying history or theology, philosophy, that's a bit more passive. Because what I find with something like that, where it's much more conceptually based, especially philosophy and theology, it's more useful rather than just typing out some article or something to stop and really think about what you're, what you're listening to, what you're reading for a bit. And mm. then try and just make something out of that into an obsidian note. Mm. And as for something like STEM, STEM, I'd say, is is quite different just by its nature because a lot of it is very rule-based. Like Especially if you're learning a programming language, it's really just a set of rules on what to type to get whatever you want out of the, out of the computer. So if you're doing Python, you need to learn the rules on how to type Python, how to code in Python. So generally what I do, um, my father is an amazing computer science scientist. He gives me books. I'll just work through those books. And it, the learning process itself for that is simpler, but the actual content you're learning is harder. I'd say that's mm. the, the trade-off there. Mm, yeah. So it sounds like humanities is more uh, like like while you're taking the notes, you really want to stop to think about comprehension. Yes. Whereas in STEM, you alluded to what I think is true as well, which is it's a lot more problem based. Like, you yes. know, you take these rules and then you apply them to a problem. And that doesn't happen as much in humanities. So I think you can yeah. take notes on both because note taking is really great at facilitating understanding but the way that you go about taking the notes is different for, yes. for either could you go a little bit more into how you might take notes differently for each one right so um with the humanity subject what i tend to do is i'm 
probably taking notes from a podcast or a book or an article. So I'll just, I using Readwise, I'll make my highlights of that. I'll import them into Obsidian. I'll then just make like bullet points from that, sort of a general structure of my thoughts on whatever the highlight is. Mm. And then from there, I'll then add in more articulation. I'll make it into maybe some smaller paragraphs. Um, And then from there, I might form. So if I have this set of paragraphs on stoicism, and then this set of paragraphs on some aspect of Islam, and they both relate in some way, I might make a new note. And that is then about that connection. And then Mm. that's what connects the two. Whereas with something more STEM-based, like mathematics. What I will do is I'll type out at different points of working through whatever book I'm going through. I'll type out my understanding of what I'm working on. So if that's differentials in calculus, I'll type out before going in, what do I think differentials are? Like midway through, what do I think differentials are? And at the end, what do I think think uh, differentials are Mm. and then that way i can see how is my understanding evolved throughout the note-taking process throughout the process of learning the subject so then maybe i'll be able to see okay i kind of knew that already going in but this is all stuff i i just learned from this book and then when i'm going back to study it i'm going back to revise it i then know what areas i need to focus on what areas are more novel compared to what areas I already have a pretty good grasp on. Mm. You said something really interesting there at the end, which I think a lot of people don't realize going into note-taking. And that is notes are not pieces of truth, but rather pieces of understanding. You don't have to take perfect notes <laughs> to get the benefit. No, they don't no have such to thing. Be, no such thing. They don't have to be completely factual. But I think a lot of people when they go to class, they're, they're scared of writing something that isn't true. So what they end up doing is writing exactly what the professor says, thinking yes. it couldn't be bad if I write directly what they say. The problem is not only does that make it so that you don't get the golden nuggets from the class because you're writing everything down, you also don't remember it as well yourself because it's easier, it's more passive, and you don't see that evolution in your thinking over time, like with what you're describing in your STEM note-taking. Yes, yes. Um, And I see this quite a bit, and I myself am guilty of it at times. Um, And that is, you'll take down exactly what the teacher takes down, but if anything, that just accentuates the point you don't understand what you're writing. I guess this sort of plays into the Feynman method, uh, where you only truly understand something if you can explain it to an 11-year-old or 10-year-old. Mm-hmm. I forget the exact age. That That's irrelevant. But you only truly understand something if you can completely reword the concept and have it still make sense. Mm-hmm. And if you're not even attempting at putting whatever concept, whatever piece of information it is in your own words... Even if it's just rearranging the sentence a little bit, if you're not even attempting to do that, it means you have a whole lot more work later on when when you have to go back and revise those notes in preparation for a test or something. Mm. Because you're basically going into that revision with the same level of understanding that you had going into the class from where you got those notes. Your understanding of the subject didn't increase at all. You just, you were a human transcriber 
the whole time, <laughs> writing down everything the teacher's saying. An automaton. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Wow. So having gone down this journey yourself, you're noticing some of these habits in other students. I'm curious, what else have you noticed other students doing that you didn't realize until starting your journey into note-taking? Well, I don't want to out anyone. On the off chance they're listening to this, they'll, they'll probably know who they are. Um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, I notice a lot of the time, there are people who just don't take any notes. Mm. None. Uh, maybe the, what we'll do is like highlight some sections in a text that we're going through. But I mean, does it really do you much good? It's like, what I would, what I would say is the best approach sort of a, a medium between the, those two extremes of writing down everything the teacher is saying and then not taking any notes at all. That's just make quick bullet points mm. on, um, they only have to be like grammatically correct sentences or something, just a quick bullet point that you can go back to in like 10, 15, 20 minutes after the class and think, oh yeah, I know exactly what I was thinking at that point in time. Let me write that down real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd say the school where I am is quite unique it is a boarding school, so students there don't make as many of the same mistakes. But I'd say the biggest one that I see um, would be people just don't make any notes. They just sit there and they just listen to the teacher, and they might be staring off into space, theorizing on how they're going to win the World Cup for Ireland in rugby or something. <laughs> but they're not actually thinking, they're not present in the class. How they're going to win the Super Smash Bros game later at night. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Yeah. How their Animal Crossing world is going. <laughs> How am I yeah. going to conquer the world in uh, uh, Hearts of Iron 4 or Hearts, Hearts of Iron 4? <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Yeah. That one is calling out one person in particular. <laughs> he knows who he is. Yeah. I think a lot of students don't want to take notes or learn how to study effectively because it sounds, I mean, it sounds really boring from it the outside. It sounds soul-sucking, yeah. It sounds soul-sucking. And I don't think they understand how note-taking and studying connects to other quintessential areas of their life, like health, work, relationships. So what would you say to students skeptical about leveling up their note-taking and studying? It doesn't have to be soul-sucking. It can be. It very easily can be. If you made the same mistakes that I did first getting into Obsidian with trying to build your own Wikipedia and then trying to copy <laughs> someone else's system verbatim, it will be soul-sucking. But if you don't do that, if you try and put a bit of your own personality into it, you don't have to be writing as well. This is another thing, actually. This is another mistake. I don't I don't explicitly see people, other people making because I don't look into other people's notes. But if I had to guess, there are a fair number of people who do make this mistake, and that's their when they are writing their notes, it is completely it's like a robot. It's like you got it from ChatGPT. It's completely devoid <laughs> of any personality whatsoever. Yeah. If you think of some quick quick bit or like a joke, maybe a snarky comment or something, mm-hmm. write that down. That'll help you remember it later. <laughs> Um, that's a big thing like when i'm memorizing mandarin characters one of the big things my teacher has me do what does this character look like to you it doesn't have to relate at all to what it actually means just what does it look like 
And that's one of the best ways to then memorize how to write that character. Mm. Is if I remember, for example, the word to be shi to me. So it has a part of the character is the character for sun. And then the rest of it kind of looks like a person holding a pitchfork. So I always <laughs> think of a bunch of angry people holding pitchforks on a hot day. And that's how I remember how to write that character. Mm. Now it doesn't have to be quite that long it could just be i don't know maybe there was some weird word your teacher used and you thought what is he talking about what does that mean <laughs> like you just maybe make a quick carrot uh arrow above the above the word and just put wtf what is this <laughs> and that will help you remember it put some personality into your notes hmm. uh, sorry i think i got a little off topic there but uh does that no. answer your question yeah i love that idea the idea of making note-taking fun through adding yeah. your own personality. Think of it maybe not as note-taking, but rather as writing. I think when people think note-taking, they associate it with school, boredom, and death. <laughs> yes. Whereas when they think uh, creative writing, like it's a lot more, whoa, there's so much opportunity. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree. Like adding in jokes, seeing your notes as conversations with your past and future self like your future self hopefully is going to read this so why don't you put something hopefully. that they'll see later on that gives them a little chuckle <laughs> yeah like you know what? I, I keep thinking of things as you're talking um yeah. and you just say your future self is going to see this right so if your future self is going to see this, don't write down something that he or she is already going to know. Mm. Um, and I, you talk about this in the course and outside of it as well. Don't write down stuff that's simple enough to memorize on the spot is not really important or relevant to what you're going to what you need to understand the topic. Mm -hmm. Or it's just, I mean, well, yeah, that's pretty much it. Don't write down stuff that you don't need to write down. Yeah. It saves you time, it saves you energy. Hopefully it'll make the whole process a little less soul-sucking as well. Mm -hmm. um, if you're writing down things that you actually think are important, that you will need to know later, you're putting mm -hmm. in your personality into it. And the one final element to that would be something you talk about a lot, and that's gamification. Mm. Make the process into a game. Make it make it fun make it enjoyable make it engaging that way you might actually want to do it rather than it just being a chore for you to get through yeah i what you just said reminded me of a statistics class that i took a few years ago i was sitting in the class first day and taking notes on what was up on the board which was a lesson on basic arithmetic because the teacher was going over this to prepare us for the more difficult statistics concepts we would learn later on. She literally put on the board two plus two equals four. Like it really was like basic arithmetic. And I was mm -hmm. taking notes on that. I was like, oh, two plus two equals four. Let me write that down. I need to make sure that. And it's like, I wish that I'd known what you just said because that is a big part for why students tend to hate note-taking is... Who wouldn't hate it if you're writing down yeah. stuff like Who two wants plus to two memorize flashcards of two plus two equals four? No one does. I definitely yeah. don't. It's like you know that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So now that you've explored into Obsidian for the last two months, what are some 
problems you're facing now and what are you excited to do in the future related to note-taking? Right. So problems I'm facing now, I'd say there's really only one, well, okay, there's two problems. One is backing up my vaults, which is not, you know why that's a problem. I'm not going to talk about that because it's still a sore subject for me. But um, yeah, if you do end up going down this Obsidian uh, route, you don't have to pay for Obsidian Sync necessarily, but I'm assuming you have Google Google Drive or OneCloud or something. Just back up your vault there like once a week or something. And if if something horrible happens, like what happened to me, you'll thank me for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, the, the problem I'm facing is I'll go through some lecture notes, I'll go through some book notes, and I'll make the I'll like I'll do the the brackets to make something into a concept note. I will then never find the time in the week to go back and actually make the concept note. Mm. Um, there's enough in the title for me to go back at any point in time and really understand what my train of thought was when writing that down. I just don't really get around to doing it. Mm. So I'd say the solution to that is one I have been trying out for, say, about half a week now, you know, time blocking. Just pick uh, like an hour, not even an hour, half an hour in your day. Dedicate that to Obsidian. Go into your Obsidian vault, see what needs to be fleshed out, see what needs to be processed, and just do it. Mm. Then, okay, that may make it feel a bit more like a chore, but, uh, I mean, is eating a chore? No. <laughs> If you if you make this if you make it a fun process, it won't be a chore. Yeah, hard things are rarely easy to do in the moment. It's mm. uh, and also this is a big big thing that I wish I'd known starting school three years ago, which is passions are cultivated, not found. Right? You yeah. often start hating something because it's hard, and then as you get better and better at it, it becomes more and more enjoyable. I really like what you said about time blocking, because one of the biggest blockers to people starting a note-taking habit, a studying habit, which is not often talked about in the PCAM community, is time slash energy management. We always want to talk about how do you set up your system to be the best? What is your tagging system? What's your linking system? What's your folder system? What's your, uh, what are your studying techniques that you're using? What note-taking principles you're using. None of that matters if you're spending zero minutes a week on doing it. And I wish there was more content out there on how do you make time for note-taking and studying? And also, how do you make energy for note-taking and studying? It takes a healthy sleeping routine, good meals. Yes, that that is is very important. Yeah. And it's so easy to neglect that. It's like, oh, it's note-taking, right? It has nothing to do with eating healthily, sleeping, or exercising. It has everything. Everything has everything to do with that. Like, that's the yeah. foundation of of having a, a good note-taking habit and studying. Yeah. If you don't mind, I'm just going to go down a small detour on there about sleeping. Heck yeah. Heck that yeah. is such an important thing. You know, if there's something I wanted me to know two years ago, it'd be that. <laughs> two years ago... I did not have a sleeping schedule. It was more like, huh, do I want to go to bed? Should I go to bed? Yes. Do I want to go to bed? No. Why? Door Fortress. Just want to play Door Fortress. So I'm going to stay awake and play Door, <laughs> Door Fortress. Fortress. 
Yes, and I don't care what anyone says is the best game that was ever made, especially since the Steam release, and we finally have graphics now. But anyway, <laughs> um, it's I now what I do. I have set time. I know exactly how many hours of sleep I get a day. I get seven hours of sleep. I find that's that's my sweet spot. Eight hours, I'm a bit lethargic in the morning. Six, I just want to kill myself. Um, <laughs> so seven hours is the ideal amount. But then the really crucial bits, you can't just go from being on your laptop, lights all around, you know, you're blasting music through your headphones, and then it's 10.59 and 11 o'clock, you're in bed. That's not going to work. Your brain, mm. your brain's not going to like that. It's going to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. You were just bombarding me with all this light and sound and energy, and now you want me to switch off. That, that doesn't work. No, you need to have a sleeping routine in place and have a morning routine in place. Mm. Um, and, I mean, there's various places people can go and find out information about that. It's like Andrew Huberman's podcast, I'd say, is probably one of the best places to go for that. He does a lot of uh, great work with that, mm. uh, sleeping routine and all that. But I would say just an hour before you go to sleep, even half an hour, instead of going on your laptop or going on your phone and doom scrolling through TikTok, if you want to do something, just like read a book for the half hour. You know, maybe maybe turn the lights down a bit, turn off the overhead light, turn on the lamp instead. It'll make each sleep you get so much better. It's actually crazy how much better sleep you get from that. You will sleep like a baby. You yes. Will, like, a, like a dead crocodile. Even, even if you're in the cramped little beds that, that I'm in at my boarding <laughs> school, you're still going to sleep great. Mm, that is so insightful. I remember I used to do exactly what you just said, which is playing video games, watching YouTube yeah. straight up till bed. And about three years ago, I started a habit of reading Kindle before bed. And that already made my sleep so much better. But what I've done even more recently, which has been super helpful, is stop doing anything work-related at all two hours before bed. And if I'm not doing something social, I will write a journal entry. I will journal hmm. for yes. 30 minutes or so, often on how the day went, but also a lot of time on a philosophical concept, uh, kind of like the meditations yeah, yeah. Marcus Aurelius. I feel like Marcus Aurelius here. Yeah, yeah. call me call me Aiden Aiden Aurelius. Aiden Aurelius. <laughs> Not Emperor actually, no. Aurelius. <laughs> Emperor Aurelius, king of the yes. peanut butter. <laughs> yes. Of course. Uh, I yeah. I'm, I I want to talk more about that in regards to exercise and eating. Do you have one tip that you wish you'd known 2 years ago for each? that is helping you with your note-taking, studying, and life in general? With exercise, just do it. <laughs> just just, just do it. Yeah, you don't really feel like it. After about 10 minutes of getting started, you will. Just get started. It's really, that's the hardest part with every workout I find. Um, it's just getting started. It's like getting uh, off my desk, like, oh, I have to go do push-ups now, or oh, I have to go on a bike ride now. And then 10 minutes in, it's like at that moment in time when you're thinking, oh, I have to go do this. All you want to do is go back into bed. All you mm. want to do is like uh, go on the couch or the book or something. Mm. But then I have 10 minutes after you start, you're into it. It's like 10 minutes after I start, I'm 
picturing myself I'm on a horse riding into battle with my sword <laughs> or something. You've gone like, super I'm, saiyan. I'm bumped up. I'm ready. Yes, I'm going super saiyan. Um, <laughs> and I mean, that can even be applied with studying whatever. I'm about to study math. Like We had a math test on Monday. Weekend, I spent a lot of time studying. Each time before I get started studying, I'm like, oh, I really would I really like to do literally anything else other than study calculus right now. It doesn't sound very appealing. But when you get started, you know, if you do feel like that, get started with something you already, like, you, you pretty much know it. It's pretty easy. Then you'll start to feel like a genius. And then you yep. won't want to stop. He's like, oh, this, this stuff's easy. I got this. And then when you run into a problem, you get frustrated. I'm a genius. Mm. I can't be running into a problem. And you keep working to fix it. <laughs> you know, kind of tricking yourself into, into going into it. Mm. And mm. as for... Um, Oh, I'm so sorry. What's the other thing you said? It was studying, eating. wasn't it? Healthy eating. Healthy eating. Healthy eating. Ah, oh, my nemesis, eating. <laughs> and not, not in the, I don't eat enough. No, I, I eat too much. I eat far, far too much. Um, right. I'm not sure if I'm really the best person to go to for any kind of dieting advice. But what I will say is it is very hard in the moment while you're eating, especially eating good food, to stop eating. So instead of trying to do that, two things. One, just the times in the day that you eat, just don't eat too much in the day. Like maybe skip a meal. Like I skip breakfast in the morning. I have coffee. So I prefer that anyway. I, I don't like cereal or anything. If I'm going to have breakfast, it better be some grand like king's breakfast or something. Otherwise, <laughs> I'm going to hate it. Um, so I just don't have breakfast in the morning. I have coffee. So then I have lunch and dinner and that's it. And then while I'm eating, I'll eat as much as I re- as I want to, but I'll eat slower. Mm. And this, this is a tip I got from you, eat slower. And it sounds so simple and it doesn't sound like that would really do anything, but it really does. It's kind of shocking. So after like normally when I get like two servings or something of something like, oh, this steak is really, really good. I'm going to go get another one. So, you know, I'm still in school. The school's giving me my lunch. I'm not paying for it. I'm going to go get another one. Um, if I eat slower, maybe I just stop after I'm done, glass of water, talk to whoever I'm sitting with. Mm. After about five minutes or so, you know what? I'm not that hungry. Like, mm. I'm just going to go upstairs and I'm going to go to my room. I'm going to mm. go back. I'm going to go get ready for class now. I'm not going to get another steak. Yeah. I don't don't really need it. Yeah. Your, your eyes are so much bigger than your stomach. Yes. You go into that dining hall. You see, oh my God, it's meat and and chocolate and ice cream oh, all for years you know so maybe good. that rule doesn't apply to chocolate chocolate that's too true good. the one thing that the one exception so oh, i was like listening you to your other other podcast with your brother yeah his story of his chocolate addiction i don't know what episode it was but that was one of the most hilarious things i've ever um, heard my god that, that story was absolutely <laughs> like you said i laughed so hard oh, man, um, that was yeah and and like you said, like what really helps is slowing down. I think one concrete way to do that is just put your fork down between bites. Yeah. It forces you to eat slower. In fact, even at the beginning, eat with your left hand, like your fork in your left hand. And the reason that that's so that it does so much is it makes it conscious when you take a bite because nobody uses their left handy unless they're yeah. a lefty. So it's like, wow. In which man. case they don't deserve to live, but. Yeah. <laughs> so that might help we've 
talked a lot about note-taking, about health, time management right then, energy management. One last thing I wanted to dive into is what is one studying principle you wish you had known two years ago? Right. I'm going to be a bit of a smart aleck in the first minute here. And that is really, I'd like to know everything that I know about studying right now, two years ago. I think that would be the most helpful. (laughs) Um, But yeah, but if I, okay, if I had to pick one principle, make it fun, make it enjoyable. Mm. So that if you try to make it enjoyable, if you try to make it fun and even half succeeded that you're going to one, you're actually going to stick to the times you say, I'm going to study from six to eight today. You're actually going to study from six to eight today. And two, that study session, if you're bored, you're going to be spacing out a lot. You're going to be going slower. You're not really in, you're not really into the subject. You're not really into what you're doing. You're kind of half into it just out of sheer will and discipline. Like, oh, I have to do this. I have a test tomorrow, but I really, really don't want to. Whereas mm-hmm. if it's more enjoyable, it's more fun. You might feel like that again for like the first five or 10 minutes. But after that, when you start to get going, you're going to get going. You're going to get lost to it. Into yeah. it. You might study from six to nine or six to ten even instead of six to eight. You might not sleep. You might just study the entire night. (laughs) You might just study for the rest of your life. Yeah. That's all you do now is study. (laughs) I love that. It reminds me of the gamification idea you mentioned earlier. Big, big thing I realized recently that has made things so much more fun is listening to a specific music playlist for writing or studying oh my god yeah i like i am fully aware that i have read studies it slightly decreases the effectiveness of the actual studying even if there's no lyrics i do not care (laughs) like the the fun factor is so much more it it just outweighs that so much it outweighs it completely there is nothing like listening to undertale terraria stardew valley music while studying or writing it's incredible (laughs) yeah for me like there's this one youtube channel ambient worlds and they just have ambiance music from any anything you can think of Mm. like i have their whole playlist for lord of the rings downloaded oh and that includes this one like two hour loop of lo-fi versions of all like the the best parts of the lord of the rings and the hobbit soundtrack I love that one. Going through that one, there's a, there's is really there's nothing else that quite makes you feel like Gandalf in a library studying <laughs> than the lo-fi version of um, the Misty Mountains from the <laughs> Hobbit starting to play. You're like, oh yes, yes, this is this is good. This is nice. <laughs> you're you're becoming as wise as Gandalf. Yes, studying. I can already feel my beard growing by yes. the minutes you just need a wizard hat now <laughs> wizard hats and i need a staff that's all yes you shall not pass <laughs> what are three books that have resonated with you most oh right the first one first one isn't really fair that would be the quran mm-hmm. as a muslim and even just personally um now i will say not all translations of the quran are made equal Mm. And you can't translate Arabic perfectly into English. So if you've never read it before, uh, Sahih International is a good one to pick up. 
Uh, there's also another one, the Clear Quran, I think it's called. Um, and that was just written to be as clear and easy to understand as possible. Although the accuracy of some of the translation of that is not so great. Um, the one that I use is called the Noble Quran. And that one is more for like semi-learned Muslims like me. It has a bunch of references to other Islamic texts and stuff. Mm. Um, now, if we discount that because that that's a religious book that's going to resonate with me a lot more than it is with someone who isn't muslim mm. or doesn't isn't really interested in religion so if i pick three other books i'd say the first one might be a little odd and that's god's shadow by dr alan mikhail now this is a book about uh sultan selim han the first was the a sultan of the ottoman empire he was the grandson of mehmed the conqueror and he had a really short reign, eight years, and he tripled the size of the empire. He conquered Syria, he conquered Iraq, he conquered Egypt, and he conquered the Hejaz. That's like the um, western coast of the Arabian Peninsula. Um, and that book, it's not really just about him. It has a bunch of other fun tidbits. One of my favorite ones, it has this whole chapter just on Christopher Columbus. One of the motivations for Christopher Columbus to find a new route into Asia that led to him stumbling across America was he heard of a Christian uh, Mongol Khan in the in the east, in the far east. And he wanted to go as an emissary to that Khan and get him to be involved in a crusade so they could have a pincer movement against the Muslims, the Mongols attacking from the east the Europeans from the West, and then retake Jerusalem for Christianity. <laughs> and that is something I have never heard outside of that book before that point. And when I read that, I just thought, wow, that's so cool. <laughs> never, never knew that. Now, some people may have just fallen asleep the moment I mentioned Mongol Khan or Christopher Columbus. But to me, that's really cool. Mm. So that book, I'd say that book sparked a lot of my love for studying history in general, as well as specifically Islamic and Ottoman history. Mm. Now, the second book, second book, Islam and the Destiny of Man by Charles Legaitan. Now, this one, yes, in the name, it has Islam. It's it's not really just about that. He gives like a, somewhat of a history of Islam. But the way he explains it and the way he delves into certain topics and the perspective that he has, um, not not really as an outsider looking in, but almost kind of like that. It's I found it very interesting. And books like that, like for me, it was that book. For you, it might be something else. A book that talks about something you already know about but from a completely different perspective from what you already view that subject as, mm. from where you already view that subject. Something like that, I say, would be very valuable to read, and that will really broaden your horizon as a reader. And in a third book, I have to pick a third book. What's a third book? <laughs> uh, oh, no. You put me on the spot now. <laughs> Uh, if I had to pick a third book, uh, I really don't want to pick another book about Islam or history, but I might have to. Um, all right. This is going to be a slightly weird one now. This is The Silk Roads by Peter Frankopan. Oh, I've heard of it. Yeah. Right. Now, that highly recommend. Now, that's another history book. 
But the reason why I'd say that resonates with me is just the scope of that book. It's like a 600-page book, which, yeah, that, that's pretty long. Until you consider that what Peter Frankman is doing in that book is he's giving an entire history of the world, like from ancient times till like semi-modern, like colonial era, and even past that. <laughs> and matter of fact, that he managed to do it in 600 pages. And I haven't quite finished the book yet, but just from what I read, his skill of picking up what needs to be mentioned, what he can afford to delve deeper into, and what he shouldn't, that really inspires me with my note-taking and enhancing my own understanding of different topics. Can I reach that same level of understanding where I'm able to do something similar with uh, to pick out certain topics like that, certain uh, concepts like that yeah and still deliver a coherent and enjoyable thing to read or listen to or whatever yeah that was fascinating i didn't think that i would be reading an islamic history book before this but i like you're gonna have to know <laughs> i likely will be after this podcast and what you said about the silk roads in particular i wonder what his note-taking system was like for that because God, I... there is, for a lot of these authors actually that have written these incredible pieces of work, like Ryan Holiday, Cal Newport, people that have written just really great books. It's fascinating for me to delve into their note-taking system because in a way you're delving into how they think, right? Yeah. <laughs> note-taking is you know, just- I never actually cool. thought to do that. I yeah. Mean, I'm going to have to, going to have to do that now. Find yeah. out how Peter Frankman took notes. How he took notes, how how he thought about, how grappled with the ideas. Like, uh, um, like note taking isn't just for school; it's for everything outside of life as well. Like, a, mm. a, if you want to learn, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. hopefully, that is, after. I, I, if you'll allow me, there are two more things just on the subject of reading that I would really like to, to talk yeah. about. Yeah, yeah, dude. The first one is something I myself didn't do for the longest time and for the last few years I have I always do now and that's I read the preface and I read the introduction mm. now maybe mm. on a fiction novel that's not so necessary but on something that's non-fiction absolutely you need to do that <laughs> um, I'll take one example I'm currently reading The Republic of Plato um, mm. translated by Dr. Alan Bloom now, if I had not read the introduction to that, I would have gone into that thinking, what on earth is happening here? Because <laughs> what Dr. Alan Bloom, what he did with this book, is this is meant to be a very literal translation of the original text. And if I didn't know that going into it, I would think, okay, I'm just an idiot. I don't understand anything that's going on here. But no, I would say, okay, no, it's meant to be like this. I just need to really stop more and think about it more. All right, mm. fine. Um, and then the second thing, and this is something I've always been particularly good at essay writing in class, in English, uh, history to an extent. And then the thing is, I don't really make drafts with my essays. I'll make an outline, and I'll flesh out that outline, and I might read through it once or twice, and then that's it. I don't make a first draft, and then rewrite a second draft, and then a third draft. No, that takes way too much time. I don't want to do that. <laughs> I want to have a three-hour session, 1,000-word essay, and then go start to finish to go done. And what I will say is the only thing I can think of that has made me into a good essay writer, one, just writing every day, journaling, that's going to help. 
if you're able to articulate your thoughts during journaling, you'll be able to articulate your thoughts when writing an essay. Mm. And the second one, read more. <laughs> so many, you know what? I'm going to make this my number one mistake for students that I see. <laughs> they don't read outside of class. Mm. They just don't. I mean, okay, yeah, sure. They, they read on TikTok or Twitter or something. It doesn't really count. I mean, read a book. <laughs> they don't read books they don't try even if it's a non-fiction book go read lord of the rings go read dune you know i don't care if you do read or don't read go read dune that's an amazing book um just read something it'll help you so much with what you're doing when you're reading now you're starting to think more like this author because you're exposed to their way of thinking you're exposed to how they are articulating their thoughts Mm. and just by virtue of that some of it rubs off on you and if you do that over a long enough period of time, a lot of it will rub off of you. Mm. And then you'll be able to walk into a class. You have a test. It's an essay. You know, as long as you know what you need to write about, you just start writing. And a coherent paragraph will appear from your fingertips. Like <laughs> oh, what you just said about reading outside of class is also what I'm going to say is my number one mistake. Yeah three years ago that that is so big like there's there's two big reasons now honestly three big reasons that i'm really quickly gonna go into for like why i think that's so valuable you touched on a bit but the first is it develops your intrinsic love for learning Hmm. if you're only learning what you are forced to in school what's going to happen when school's over you're just not going to learn anymore you're just done (laughs) it's over next 80 years of your life just on your deathbed, you'll know exactly <laughs> what you knew at the age of 18, graduating from high school. Exactly. And then another reason is students our age tend not to realize what uh, how you consume information is just as important as what you consume. If you're consuming through TikTok, through YouTube shorts, that's not going to be nearly as impactful and effective on your thinking as consuming a long form book, because in a long form book, you really have to sit and grapple with the ideas. You don't have a visual or an auditory element, which means you have to imagine what is happening in your mind. You have to fit together Mm. propositions. Exactly. Yes. When you're, when you're watching a short TikTok, it's very stimulating. It's designed to be that way. Yeah. (laughs) It's engaging your brain too much for you to really think about what you're what you're looking at exactly whereas when you're reading a book it's just text on a page yeah so yeah you're with your eyes you're reading the text part of your head you're thinking about the text and the rest of your head what is it doing (laughs) trying to picture what is that text talking about yeah especially if you're reading like a harry potter like a fiction novel something like that Mm. especially that yeah and i think that that's ties into the third point that I want to make, which is one last benefit of note-taking is it forces you to grapple with the ideas. If you take notes on something, it takes time, right? Like you have to stop, you have to reflect on what you just consumed. It's active, helps you learn it better. So it's one thing to read a book and never grapple with the ideas outside of it. It's another to read a book. And then even if it's not written down, but just in your mind, you purposely ask yourself, who is the author of this? What are the individual arguments they're making? 
How do they fit into the whole? Why is it significant? Just doing that, hopefully writing it down, is going to help you understand it so much better. <laughs> mm. Yes. If you eat peanut butter, what is your favorite brand and consistency? <laughs> oh, no. This is the moment I was dreading. Uh, right, Aiden, before I answer this question, yeah, you're going to have to promise me that you're not going to block me and then you're never you're going to release this podcast, first of all. You're not going <laughs> to block me on anything and you're not going to just ghost me for the rest of your life. Okay? I, I promise. Pinky promise right. through, through the screen. I absolutely hate peanut butter. The spice. No. No. <laughs> no. This is a tragedy. That's it. We can't be friends anymore. It's, no. It's done. I promised. I promised. I can't I can't leave the podcast. Yeah, you, you picky promised. You're kinda you're you're beholden to that now. Yeah. yeah. What do you hate about it? <laughs> it's too much too much peanuts. I just don't like peanuts. It's not only that I don't like nuts. I love Brazil nuts, pecans, walnuts. Those are all fantastic. It's just peanuts, really? Mm. Peanut butter? So what about cashew? If I wanna have butter? peanuts, I'll eat regular peanuts. If yeah. I wanna have butter, I'll eat regular butter. Uh, I don't want to have peanut butter. Yeah. What about other butters like cashew butter, almond butter, Brazil no. nut butter? Nothing. No. no. Yeah. No. Just the nut. <laughs> no. No. If I want to have nuts, I'll eat nuts. Yeah. Well, I very much respect that, Umar. You, you are part of the nut squadron. You can, you can uh, spout well, the benefits I have, of peanuts. I, I've been called a nutter before by people. This is true. Yeah. I don't think they meant it as a compliment, but. I haven't called that. <laughs> uh, nutter is like so a funny. slang word in Ireland and Britain for someone who's mad. Like insane. Oh, oh man. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> is there anything else you want to say to any students listening before we end the podcast? Uh, keep an open mind. Now, I know you've heard this before. And now I just sound like one of those speakers the school hires to gather you all in the assembly room and talk to you. Keep yeah. an open mind. No, but, but really, keep an open mind. It doesn't have to be soul-sucking. It doesn't have to be boring. You don't have to only be learning from your classes. Everything we've talked about for the past hour, there are other ways to do it. It mm. doesn't have to suck. Mm. It can be fun. Just keep an open mind. Mm, I, Maybe we should have started off with that point. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I think students listening have benefited so much from hearing your journey. Uh, I'm really thankful that you came on, Umar. This has been wonderful. I'm, I'm very thankful that you invited me on. Yeah. What's up, guys? Aiden here. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you found Umar's journey resonated with you, I'm going to say one more time that you should consider checking out Obsidian University for yourself in the description below. Once again, to briefly describe what it is, it's a pre-made student vault filled with school templates, Obsidian plugins, and a tag-along course that explains how to use various aspects of the vault and trains you in the core concepts of personal knowledge management. It's the vault I wish I had when making my Obsidian journey. In it, you're gonna learn how to get good grades in less time so you can focus on actually enjoying college life and making memories. You're gonna learn the best mindsets, methods, and tools for leveling up your note-taking and studying. You're gonna navigate the overwhelming amount of information in the digital age. 
build a note-taking system that compounds your knowledge across semesters, learn better, remember more, and become more creative, fall back in love with student learning, and finally, join fellow passionate learners like Umar in our exclusive Obsidian University Discord. So if that sounds interesting, check it out in the description below. I hope you guys have a phenomenal rest of your day. Eat some peanut butter and bye-bye.